Tonight's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 31, and this can be found on page 3 in our church Bibles. Page 3, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, And there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, 
the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thank you, Dan, very much. It was Christmas Eve, 1968, and Apollo 8 was orbiting the moon, and um, there was a live broadcast to the largest television audience that had ever been watching TV, largest the world had ever seen. And the crew of Apollo 8 broadcast these words. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning was the second day. 
that moment. Three of America's leading space scientists, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, this was their moment of glory. They, they had worked for this moment all their lives. But as they, as they circled the moon, they worshipped their creator. And then actually they were promptly sued by the American Atheist Society. Although amusingly the case was thrown out because no one was quite sure which country's laws had jurisdiction in outer space. True story. In a way, that, that moment half a century ago captures the very essence of these verses. Genesis 1 contains creation wonders, words so foundational to the Christian faith. The opening chapters of Genesis, which we're going to look at over the next few weeks, they're quoted over 40 times in the New Testament. They're quoted by Jesus himself. They're hugely important chapters. And yet... They're probably just about the most contentious chapters in the whole Bible. Give me Song of Songs anytime. Because as we turn to Genesis, some of you will be sitting here thinking, definitely six days. Six literal days. Don't you dare suggest anything otherwise, John. Some of you will be thinking, 4.5 billion years. Definitely 4.5 billion years. And that's quite, that's quite a difference, isn't it? Actually, as I was writing my notes, I put down 4.6 billion years, because that's what it was when I was doing physics A-level. But um, somehow along the way, we've lost 100 million years in a rounding era, apparently. And there'll be some sitting here tonight, and you'll be thinking, well, those astronauts, they must have been smoking something. I mean, it was the 60s, after all. But God has got nothing to do with this. Natural processes, physical mechanisms, don't play the God card. Well, if you're in that last category, can I encourage you just to sit and listen? Not, not, not to my words so much, but to these words. Come back over the next few weeks. Commit yourself to just coming and listening and asking yourself, do these words, the, the words at the beginning of God's word to us, do they make sense of the world in which we live? I'm absolutely convinced they do. And it's a question which merits a bit of time to think through. But if you're one of those first two groups, let me um, disappoint you by just making a couple of brief observations. Firstly, I want to say the days matter. The fact that it is six days matters. Cheer goes up from one corner of the room. As God gives his law to his people, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, he says these words. He says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, do you see the parallel there? Six days you shall work, and one day you shall rest. Six 
literal days you shall work. One literal day you shall rest. It's the week that we have now. Because God made the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. The, the days matter. But, she goes up from the other corner of the room, we've got to tread carefully with these days. Because Genesis 1 verse 14, have a look down with me. Um, this is the fourth day, Genesis 1 verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Now God is not stupid. The human author of these words, it was Moses who compiled the first five books of the Bible. And he was not stupid. It's not just you and I who read this and think, well, hang on a sec. What did days one to three look like if there was no sun and moon? That tension is deliberately given to us to help us tread carefully. In fact, beginning of chapter 2, Genesis 2, verse 4, literally, that verse reads, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. It's the same word here, day probably here just being used as an expression, as a turn of phrase. But, but it's at least a warning for us to tread carefully in chapter 1. And again, when we read the rest of chapter 2 next week, we'll see the, the creation order is described differently. The order of events isn't the same, and it's not a mistake, as in sort of page 2 of the Bible, massive contradiction, what are we going to do there? It's telling us not to read these verses as chronological history, neat and ordered events. We're to read them as theology. These verses are first and foremost teaching us about God. He's the subject of, of the chapter 35 times in the first 34 verses of the Bible. We get the word God. This is all about him. If we get stuck this evening on young earth, old earth, turns into a massive bum fight, we'll have completely failed to listen to what God is saying to us here. We're meant to see God. So probably having upset just about everyone in the room tonight. Three brief headings for us as we uh, look at the creator God in his words. We've got word, a creator who speaks, worth, a creator who gives value, and worship, a creator to be praised. So first up, word. Word, a creator who speaks. And uh, look again at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. This is how it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you hear that? In the beginning, God. That is such a foundational truth. Right back at the start of all eternity. I realize there's contradictions in those words. Eternity doesn't have a start. But that's the point. In the beginning, God before any created thing, we meet an eternal God, a God with no beginning or end, the uncreated creator, which actually sets up a really important distinction for us. It tells us that everything is either created or creator. Those are the two universal categories of existence. Everything was either made or is the eternal maker. In the beginning, God. 
And as if to emphasize the point, we're told, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The language here is pictorial language for chaotic nothingness. Formless, chaos, and empty, nothingness. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The deep here is the abyss, empty, nothingness. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters, not not literal waters, waters here to describe disordered nothingness. Now I know nothingness seems a funny concept. Imagine you had a bedroom and it was completely empty and your parent told you to go and tidy your completely empty bedroom because it was chaos. You'd feel slightly hard done by it in that moment. But the disorder here relates to the nothingness. You don't describe something as empty unless it's waiting to be filled. The very fact that we can look at a glass and say that glass is empty is because we know a glass was made to be filled. Similarly, you can't speak of darkness unless the concept of light exists. Darkness presupposes light. Otherwise, darkness is just normality. It doesn't need commenting on. We're meant to see there is an uneasy incompleteness to this empty chaos. As if this empty, chaotic void was waiting. Then verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. Now do you see what just happened there? Don't let familiarity contempt. In the beginning, God. The passage is all about God. And what have we just seen? God speaks. This is massive. God said, let there be light. He speaks. Is that your God? Is your God a God who speaks? Because a God who speaks is a personal God. It's not just a a Buddhist sense of God, an abstract force. The God of the Bible is a relational, a personal God. Let there be light. And there was light. Again, they're earth-shattering words because these words from the personal God, they work. They make things happen. The, The chaos of darkness, which was crying out for order, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. His word works. And our mind should be racing at this point. Because his word still speaks. All scripture is God-breathed, we're told. This, the Bible, is the word of the, the personal creator, God. And his word works. It brings order to chaos. That, that's the pattern we see throughout these verses. He, he separates light from darkness. He orders the waters from the skies. And then by the power of his word, he gathers up the dry ground and forms land and sea. Each time bringing order from chaos. Because that's what his word does. In fact, it's worth noticing... We're going to think more about science and faith as we work our way through these chapters. But just begin by noticing that the very premise of scientific endeavor is an ordered world. 
A world where physical processes can be investigated, understood, and replicated. Because the Creator God brings order through His words. Now, doesn't that leave you feeling, I need this? I, I need His words. My, my mates need this. They, they need His words. It's one of the reasons we're so keen to try and do a church plant, because to start a new word-based community in this city, because his word brings order. And our lives are chaotic. They're broken. They need ordering, restoring. Our society is disordered. But his word brings order. Isaiah 55, God says of his word, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the purpose for which I sent it. Right at the start of the Bible, we meet this personal, eternal creator God, and he speaks. He's a personal God, and his word works. Secondly, then, our second heading, worth a creator who gives value. And we started to notice the pattern. God orders the chaos, and in doing so, he's creating habitats, ordered spaces to populate. So day one, he separates light and darkness, creates day and night. And then day four, he populates those habitats. So verse 16, throw up the, throw up the diagrams, John, just so we can see how we're going. That's day one, light and darkness, and then day four, there we go, sun and moon. So you can see, creates the habitat and populates the habitat. Verse 16, God made two great lights. The great light to govern the day, that's the sun, and the lesser light to govern the night, that's the moon. He also made the stars. Don't you love those five words? He also made the stars. Around 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Around 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. They're, They're incomprehensible numbers. And yet he also made the stars. Day two, God separates the waters from the skies. And then day five, he populates those habitats. So verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. You get the pattern. Ordered habitats which he populates through his powerful words. Once you've seen the pattern, no surprise that that after day three, separating land and sea, On day six, we read, verse 24, God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. It's a really carefully constructed creation account. Ordered habitat created. Ordered habitat populated. And God saw that it was good. After each creation act, we get the same refrain. God saw that it was good. Every day that is, except day two. I've got no real idea why You don't get God saw that it was good after day two. Except when you work out the dates, Saturday was the Sabbath, day of rest. That was the seventh day. 
So Sunday must have been day one, which means day two was Monday. And no one likes Mondays, do they? Someone should tell the Boomtown Rats who've answered their question. Good, good, that was a 1970s reference. Good, 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 good. Six times, you get the same refrain ringing out. Formless and empty chaos, God, the personal creator, has created a good creation. And we mustn't miss this. For for early readers, that good would have been hugely significant. See, many would have been caught up in, in the mindset of spiritual things being good. So prayer, good. God and angels, good. But physical things, food, sex, possessions, well, they're all bad. It's a kind of dualism, neatly trying to separate the world into, into good things and bad things. You and I easily get caught in the same trap, actually. And someone drives a nice car, and inwardly we frown. Not, not a very Christian thing to do. Someone goes on a nice holiday, and we put it straight in the box of worldliness and view it with Christian suspicion. I'm not just saying this because I'm off to Russia tomorrow. We need to be careful. God saw that it was good. Yes, there are dangers. We'll come to the dangers. But there is inherent goodness here. And we need to see that and rejoice in it. So at the end of day six, the creation climax comes. And follow with me in your Bibles from verse 26. We're going to read a chunk here. Notice how distinct this creation act is from all the other acts. So verse 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with it, with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now there is so much to see in these verses, and um, we're not going to be able to touch on all of it now, thankfully. And we're looking at them again in small groups, um, so we'll have time to spot the details there. If you're not in a small group, chat to me at the end. Get in a small group. These verses are, are worth looking at. The main thing I want to notice here is the very good. God creates man and woman, humanity. And now he looks at his creation, and his declaration is very good. Is that not life-affirming? You and I are the pinnacle of this creation. You're the great highlight of God's work. We're not just advanced chimpanzees. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's why matters like euthanasia, abortion, slavery, human rights, they they matter. They should matter. In fact, they should matter particularly to Christian believers. 
You and I are not just a clever cluster of self-replicating cells. You and I, we picture our creator. That's where our value comes from. Now, has anyone got a banknote? I've not got a banknote on me. I've only got uh, US dollars and I want a, a UK banknote. Someone got a UK banknote? Matthew Burton looks promising. No, empty. Nick Golvin. Hey, well done. Thank you very much, Heather. Okay, you'll get it back. Don't panic. <laughs> UK banknote. Who's head on the UK banknote? On this side, not Winston. The Queen. The Queen. Okay, the Queen, by putting her head on the banknote, she is promising that her bank, the Bank of England, will guarantee the value of this note. Otherwise, it's just a bit of paper, just a bit of plastic, actually, now. God, our creator, has placed his image. Let me pass that back. He's placed his image into you and me, guaranteeing our value. That with his image comes great worth. You see, we get caught up in all kinds of fun and games. We long for worth, for value. And so what do we do? We we tell ourselves our value comes with our job title. It comes with our salary, with our relationship, with our Instagram followers, with our exam results, with what car we drive, how attractive we are. God, your creator, says your value comes from him. He has taken his creator's stamp and he has stamped his creator's image on you. And he has said, you are valuable. You have worth. You are very good. We need to grasp that. We wrestle so much with this. Have you seen your worth? There's so much else I'd love to highlight here. The plural us as God speaks. That's interesting, isn't it? Let us make mankind in our image. I love that. Um, think about what it tells us about who God is and who we are. And humanity's role as rulers of creation. Huge implications there. Why are they only allowed to eat the plants and the seeds? What's going on there? Should we all be vegetarians? I'm going to leave it for small groups. Join a small group. Word, a creator who speaks. Worth creator who gives value, precious value. And then briefly as we end, worship, a creator to be praised. And I simply want to say here that the astronauts had it right. As they orbited the moon, breathtaking scenes of awe and wonder. I mean, it must have been incredible to be in that shuttle. But so easy for them to be thinking, how great is humanity? How much have we achieved? In fact, that was Neil Armstrong's line, wasn't it? As he landed on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. In our sinful selves, that's the way we're naturally wired, to praise ourselves. But Buzz Aldrin, did you know this? Buzz Aldrin sat alongside Neil Armstrong in Apollo 11 as they landed on the moon. And just as they touched down, Buzz took out a little plastic pot. And inside his plastic pot... He had some bread and some wine. And he radioed NASA and he said, I'd just like a few moments of silence. And then he took communion. He worshipped his creator, his saviour. That's the right response to creation. We mustn't worship creation to live just for the, the joys of, 
of sex, of food, of possessions, whatever it might be. The, the Bible calls that idolatry because it's wrong worship. Worshipping creation, not the creator. And we'll all be doing that in some way. Worth asking yourself, how am I doing that? Where, where am I worshipping creation rather than creator? We need to repent of it. Similarly, when we look at the stars, the planets, the moon, we need to see right creation order here. So many people get caught up in, in assuming that the stars are their masters, determining their destiny. But listen to our creator God. Verse 14 of chapter 1, God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. You hear that perspective? The, the stars serve us. They don't master us. They're given to serve us. So don't depend on them. Don't get caught in the trap of, of worshipping them. Worship your creator. Worship the one, the personal God, who speaks whose word brings order, brings life. Crave for that word. Worship the one, the personal God, who loves you enough to make you and me the center of his creation, the pinnacle, to choose to make us his image bearers, to give us the responsibility of ruling over his creation. See, there's, there's awe and wonder in these words. These words should take us to worship our creator God. Let's not lose sight of him. Let me lead us in a prayer as we close. Eternal God, an extraordinary thing that we can speak to you. The God who speaks, but the God who hears our every prayers who knows each one of us personally, intimately, the number of hairs on our head, all the circumstances that surround our days, that give us anxious nights. You are not blind, you are not absent. You are loving, and you are powerful. And your word brings the order that our world our lives long for. So help us listen. Help us learn. Help us speak of you, our God, and to worship you with awe and wonder. You are an awesome God. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.